Good morning, church. Lovely to see you. There's so many of you this morning and a few new faces. Fantastic. Welcome. If you're new here, my name's Ian. I am the senior minister. So welcome this morning. What have we got for you this morning? Well, we have got a guest speaker this week. She has come all the way down from something. She's got a word for us this morning that's been on her heart for some time. You might know her. Her name's Julia. She's our children and family minister. But I just want to pray for Julia as, just before she comes up to speak. So, Julia, could you just come up? Father God, we thank you for our sister, Julia. Lord, you have put your word on her heart this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that you will... You will send that word out, Father. You will give her the strength and the courage. You will help her to pick up what needs to be picked up and to lay down what needs to be laid down. Lord, we pray for your presence and we pray that your word will change the lives of the hearers this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Julia. Okay, I'm just going to pray for Keith as he comes to do our reading today. Father God, I just um, thank you that we've got the opportunity to meet here this morning and to learn more of you. And I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to all that you have to say to us today. I pray for Keith as he reads, that you'll give him your words and clarity as he speaks. Amen. Morning, everybody. Got a bit of an act mashup this morning, so just the NIV version. Now we're starting with uh, chapter 6, verses 8 to 15, then on to chapter 7, verses 34 to 42, and then moving down to verses 51 to 60, which is the end of the chapter, and then finishing on chapter 8, verse 1. So, not to get through, but I'm sure we'll be fine. So, Stephen seized. Now, Stephen, a man of full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among his people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the spirit the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before Sanhedrin, which was also known as the High Council. They produced false witness who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Then on Acts 35 to 42. This is the same Moses that had rejected the words, they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and delivered by God himself. Through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt and the Red, at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will rise up for you a prophet like me for your own people. 
He was in the assembly of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to, be, to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. This was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, the moon and the stars. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are like your ancestors. You always resist in the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, also, you who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And moving on to stoning of Stephen. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of the Man standing next at the, standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses led their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. Laid their coats, sorry. While they were, coming, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When they had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing of him. So, in this passage, we see that Stephen acted a bit like a mirror, didn't he? I've got a selection of mirrors here. Um, he was reflecting God's glory and helping people to see things clearly. Now, what can you think of what we use mirrors for? I've got some examples there. Looking at yourself, putting your makeup on, removing unwanted hair. You can use it to give yourself a talking to in the mornings, can't you? You can see hard to reach places. You can see the dentist there looking at the teeth at the back, which is hard to see. Um, or sometimes drivers have them on their driveway, don't they? So that they can see clearly round the bend or if it's hard to see what's coming. In your car, you use them to check everything's safe before moving. You put them in the room on the wall to make the light reflect the light to make the room look a bit bigger. You might use a disco mirror ball to make pretty patterns and to have your disco. You use them in maths to find the centre anchor point in the light for the line of symmetry. And uh, you might use them in exercise or sport. There's a ballerina there checking that her body is in the correct position. Can you think of any other places we might use mirrors? Periscope. Oh, yes. Yes, that reminds me. If there's a total eclipse or, you know, 
stuff happening, you're not meant to look directly at the sun, are you? You're supposed to look through mirrors to make it reflect onto a piece of paper and look at that. At fun fairs to confuse you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so as we as we talk about Stephen this morning, just have a think through how Stephen could be acting as a mirror. There's also lots of para- parallels with Moses. So we're going to be talking about Moses. The children are looking at Moses this morning. We're going to see how Stephen reflects the story of Moses. So we'll look at the context where this comes. So Jesus has been born, he's died, he's risen from the dead, he's promised the gift of the Holy Spirit and he's gone back to be with the Father. And he's, he told the disciples to wait in one place for the gift of the Holy Spirit and they've received that gift um, and the early church was growing and growing and growing. At the beginning of Acts 6, we see that there, there was more leaders that were needed. It was, there was too much grumbling and moaning going on. There wasn't, it, things weren't fair between the Greek and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And this reminded me of Moses um, in Exodus 18, where Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit. And the people are all lining up in front of him, with their mumble, with their grumbles and complaints, and it was far too much for Moses to deal with on his own. So Jethro suggested that he appointed other leaders who could take groups of people and deal with different things, so that it wasn't all on Moses. And uh, he told him to find capable, honest, God-fearing men to be appointed as judges over these different groups. Moses' role was still to oversee everything, deal with the complicated issues. He was still to be the people's representative before God, the high priest. And he was still um, teaching God's ways. He was teaching the people. Um, But he wasn't to bear the load on his own anymore. So back in Acts, we see that the 12 disciples, or apostles as they're now called, were looking for more servers to help out. And so they called everyone together um, to meet and to pray. And they were looking, it says in um, verse 3 of chapter 6, Now look around amongst yourselves, brothers. Select seven men who are well respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So they chose seven people from amongst them. Stephen was one of them, and he was chosen, it says specifically in verse 5, that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And being full of faith, he was prepared to face what was thrown at him, quite literally, um, with the full certainty that God was in complete control. He wasn't afraid of his accusers, he wasn't shy, he didn't shrink away, but he was also full of grace, it says in verse 8. So he had that careful balance of power, faith and grace and the Holy Spirit. I wonder if we're as confident as Stephen with that right balance of boldness and respect or are we maybe too concerned about 
what people think of us, our own reputation and popularity. Stephen hadn't been to Bible college, just like Peter. He relied on the Holy Spirit guiding him, but he knew the scriptures inside out. He'd habitually spent time in God's presence reading the scriptures. And then we see that the 12 apostles then appointed these men by laying their hands on them. And this parallels with Moses um, when he appointed Joshua to be the new leader in Numbers 27. The apostles asked power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen these new leaders. So he'd already been filled with the Spirit. The believers had already got the Holy Spirit in them. But they laid their hands on again and again asked for a special blessing. Romans 8 verse 9 says that every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking, it's a bit like how our bodies have water in them, but we still need to drink, don't we, to replenish. So the Holy Spirit regenerates us and leads us into holiness, gives us gifts for ministry. And here we can see that they're specially playing for a special anointing for this, um, for this special job. And so... and. Again, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit so that he could speak boldly when he needed to. So every challenge creates a new need that the Holy Spirit meets. So how do we recognise this in people? So it says that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. How do we recognise that in other people, I wonder? We see people growing in the fruits of the Spirit, don't we? Love, joy, peace, all the others. Um, but later on, it says that his face was like the face of an angel. So he must have been different in some way, mustn't he? In, in the New Living Translation, it says that his face became as bright as an angel's. And actually, that refers reflects back to Moses. Moses had gone up the mountain... He'd received God's commands, and when he came back down, his face was shining radiantly. And he even had to wear a veil over his face because he was shining brightly. And when you look up that word radiant, the Hebrew word is that... I'm not going to be able to pronounce that word... (laughs) (laughs) but it means to be with horns. Now, that sounds really weird, doesn't it? I thought, what on earth is that about? But when you look into it, it's really exciting because horns, well, they're very visual, aren't they? They're um, They're found on an animal normally, used to attack or defend themselves against the enemy, and it's the first thing you see And horns are used as wind instruments, trumpets, to make a loud noise. We hear of that um, phrase, the horn of salvation, which means that Jesus is my strength, power. And horns symbolise strength and status. So it's like he came down the mountain shouting and making noise to bring people's attention to God. So, and Stephen was given that special strength and wisdom that could only come from God. He shone with God's glory in that moment. And because he, he was 
he was having to defend himself, wasn't he? They were accusing him. Um, and Luke's highlighting for us here that Stephen is a reflection of Moses. It's the perfect bookend. Moses brought the law for the first time, and following the law is our defense against the enemy, loving God and loving others. The law, Jesus summed the law up as loving God, loving others. And he's now shining in the reflection of God, boldly shouting out that the law that Jesus came to uphold. And he was proclaiming that Jesus fulfilled the law. He wasn't trying to change it or disrespect it. Do we shine like that? Are we spending enough time with God to reflect him? <coughs> are we able to keep the law? And are we attractive to those around us? I found this little picture of someone glowing in the darkness. Do we glow in the dark world? And do we reflect the light so that it can spark a fire? Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I've asked for, one thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This is the way to victory. Spending time with God. Those who live in step with God, spending regular time with him, will reflect him, showing God's love to others and to love others. So Stephen was stepping up to the appointment of serving and he was serving tables. Sometimes God puts us in lower positions for training ground to serve God through the, the reality of serving others. And then at the beginning of verse 8, we actually see that he's doing so much more than just serving tables. He was doing great wonders, miraculous signs, as well as preaching the gospel. Quite often when our hearts are aligned with God, when we're sensitive to his voice and his leading, being obedient to his call, God will stretch us and challenge us to do more than what we signed up for in the first place. So I wonder, what, what's God calling you to? Will you step out of the boat and walk with him in all he has for you, even though that might seem a bit scary or a big challenge? For Stephen, it meant risking his life. And what do we do when there's op opposition? Often when we um, step out for God, there's a bit of opposition there, isn't there? They tried to argue against Stephen. This was probably the same people who killed Jesus. Verse 10 tells us, though, that they couldn't stand up to his wisdom or to the Spirit, God's Spirit in him, by whom Stephen was speaking. So Stephen didn't take it as a personal attack. It was an attack of the gospel. They were trying to argue with God, but they couldn't win. So they lied about him instead. I wonder if we're sometimes quick to listen to lies. Do we test things and weigh them up? What do we do if people lie about us just because they take a disliking to us as we step out for God? Do we take things personally when people are really just attacking God? Stephen responded by telling his accusers a story that they knew really well. He was shining up a, a mirror to them 
reaching those hard-to-reach places, showing them their mistakes and giving them a chance to repent and turn back to God. But instead, they took offence and they rejected him, attacking him and then killing him. And I wonder how we react if somebody shows us our mistakes. Do we take offence? Do we attack? Or do we humbly repent and turn back to God and ask him for his help so that we can start again? Because God's the, the God of second chances. We just need to humble ourselves, don't we? So then he launched into his speak. We didn't look at the whole of it because it's quite lengthy. I'm just looking at the part of Moses. Um, but it was a familiar story to them. They, they were brought up with the law. They knew that story very well. It, the story was central to his accusers' lives, a story that they'd built their identity around. But as Stephen tells the story, he uses it to shift their perspective to show them that Jesus is the promised prophet that they were waiting for. He was holding a mirror up to their lives to challenge them about where they really stood with God. It was to light up their darkness. God was, um, he was pointing out that God had raised up men to act as deliverers, messengers to his people, but time and time again, they just rejected him. Um, them and they disobeyed God's instructions. The people wanted to turn back to what they knew. They wanted to go back to slavery in Egypt. So he was holding that mirror up to them. They were accusing him of speaking out against the law, but it was them who rejected the law. They thought that they could be self-sufficient, that they didn't need God, that they themselves could make a God. They made idols to focus all their attention on instead. And we often do that, don't we? We think that we can, we can have strength that comes from within or we get distracted by uh, other things that take a higher place than God. They were walking away from God and they weren't loving him as they, um, and they weren't loving others very much either. So they'd given up their right to be his chosen people. So... He let them get on with it. But he has a plan, doesn't he? he? He didn't just abandon them. He had a plan through Jesus. They rejected Moses, God's appointed leader. And I wonder if we often look back at the past. Are we looking to God for help or relying on ourselves? Are we listening to God, following his ways? Are we supporting and listening to our leaders who God's appointed or do we run away to the past when we don't like something? If our minister takes a break, like the Israelites, they ran away to make idols. Do, what do we do when we think that nobody's watching? Do we run somewhere else? Are we committed to God, where he, to where he's placed us? and serving to the best that we can, turning up on time and faithfully doing our best? Or are we just wandering around in the wilderness where we're easy prey for the enemy? God wants us in the fold, committed, safe, and serving with a purpose. The other thing that they were accusing Stephen of was because they thought he was speaking out against the temple. 
Jesus himself was accused of the same thing, and he was killed for it. So what's a temple? Well, it's a place to worship, a place where God dwells, a place where sacrifices are made. And in Acts 7, 48 to 50, Stephen addresses this and shows them God doesn't need man to build him a house. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He can't be contained. He's quite capable of, of building, making himself somewhere to dwell. And yet he chooses to live with us, to dwell with us. His spirit now lives in us. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They thought he was talking about the bricks and they were outraged because they didn't want anyone knocking down their sacred, holy temple. But Jesus wasn't talking about bricks, was he? He was talking about his body, his flesh and blood. His body became the living temple and he paid the ultimate sacrifice. And now our bodies are living temples. We don't need to suffer and, and sacrifice our bodies because Jesus did that once for all time. But we can bring him costly offerings, can't we? Our time, our money, our um, service, giving up stuff that's bad for us. All as an act of, of love. There's loads of um, references here to our bodies being a living temple and how we should show respects because of that. They, they, they had respected and fought over the temple building and yet they completely disregarded people and, their, and people's bodies. They threw stones at them, didn't they? Um, but Jesus died. When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom, showing that God broke that divide that separated man from God. Our mistakes that build up and cause that separation. But Jesus' sacrifice of his body, made out of love and obedience to the Father, grace and mercy, tore that barrier down, separating us from the um, that separated us from God, meaning that we don't need that high priest. Moses was the high priest. The high priest interceded for the people and made those sacrifices. But that's Jesus for us now. We can come straight to Jesus, straight to God, humbling ourselves before him, confessing our sins, turning away from them, and God's gracious to forgive. And he wants to live with us filling us with his power and strength, which gives us all that we need to live in a way that honours, loves and respects him and others. And we spend time, as we spend time with him, we begin to glow and shine. And it's his love and power that shines out from us. So that's what people saw when Stephen looked like an angel. An angel is a messenger of God those who are close to God, having spent time in his presence, reflecting some of God's glory. So coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Coming to church doesn't save you. You have to make that personal choice yourself. To love God, to spend time with him, to ask for forgiveness for your mistakes, to know his ways through reading the Bible regularly and talking to him, praying with him. 
and to love others and carrying on this relationship every day through Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit till the day that we die. Coming to church helps us and encourages us in that, but it doesn't make us a Christian. So we have that choice to make, don't we? So when Stephen accused his hearers of being stiff-necked, stubborn, with uncircumcised hearts, he was claiming that they hadn't cut away that sin, that pride from their hearts. They were deaf to God. They were resistant to his workings and ways. They were going through the motions. They were performing all the rituals, but their hearts were far from it. Are we like that? Do we just come to church out of routine? Do we take communion out of routine? Is it a ritual for us? Is it something that we just do for company, for fellowship, but our hearts aren't really in it? Or do we really have that love, that heart desire for God? And then Stephen had this wonderful vision Stephen's hearers understandably were angry because they were being shown the truth. They were being told that they were rejecting God when they thought that they were doing the right thing their whole life. Um, And then when Stephen had this vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God, it wound them up even more, didn't it? But Stephen was so focused on Jesus, so focused on God, that... He didn't care what they thought. He was just, he had this vision. He was blessed with this vision. Jesus was showing him that he was present in his life, that he was there, that he was on the right track. And his last words were of forgiveness, just like Jesus. So Stephen says, Lord, receive my spirit. Don't hold this sin against against them. And Jesus very similarly said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Although Saul was witnessing the event and approved of the killing, I think these words of forgiveness could have had a big effect on him. It was like a seed being planted. Saul would have known how Jesus died and how he'd been accused of. Um, so, he, yeah, as he was witnessing it, he would have seen that, reflection of Jesus and so then when he'd have seen the similarities and being part of that he was part of the persecution he wasn't throwing the stones but he was fully approving of it and he was there as a witness and fully there in his heart so it would have been very real to him because when, w- when he had his conversion, Jesus' words were, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So it would have been so real. He would have seen that. That image of Stephen being stoned would have been real when Jesus was there speaking to him. And he could, he could actually see that he was persecuting Jesus. It was the same. It was simil- similar. So... This had a profound um, effect on his teaching then throughout the New Testament. And there's this quote from a top thinky bloke, as Ian would say. Um, He said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. 
And as a seed is, is planted into the ground, it's, it's like it's being buried, isn't it? But it doesn't die. There's hope of new life. Of, um, you can see there that little shoot spouting up. And it grows and grows into something bigger and bigger and produces fruit. And this vision sta of Jesus standing next to God, pleading Stephen's case with heaven opening up, he's being welcomed, vindicated before his accusers. And then it says that he fell asleep. Now, the Greek word here for asleep is exactly the same word that Jesus used to describe Lazarus when, Je when Jesus raised him from the dead. So there's that hope when we die now, if we truly believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again because he loves us and he wants us to be in relationship with him, then we have hope of everlasting life with him forever. We don't die going into the ground with nothing. There's that hope of that new life, that eternal life. So the word asleep, it brings us that hope, doesn't it? Saul thought he'd ki been killed, it had the word killed, which was different from that word asleep. So Saul then had to come to realise that it was he was just asleep. So are we willing to step out in faith, believe that Jesus died for us? I wonder if there's someone here today who needs to make that choice this morning for the first time. So let's just pray. Lord, we want to step out in faith today. We want to believe that you died, that you died for us, Jesus, for all of our mistakes so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. We want to be obedient, to trust you, to receive your power and strength so that we can obey and step out serving you by serving others and speaking boldly to spread the good news, even if that means that we might face opposition. We thank you that you're with us and that you give us hope. We thank you how Stephen had that vision of you there with, with him, that he knew where he was going, and we want to believe that for us too. Please, Lord, help all the people who are story writers and screenwriters, Christian authors, help them to be bold in their writing, to take risks to tell people about you. Help us to be challenged by Stephen's boldness. Lord, we don't want to offend people or be misunderstood. We want to speak in respect, but we want to speak truth boldly, in love, showing respect. Lord, we want to spend time with you so that we reflect you, so that we shine. Help us to dig deeper into your word, to understand you and your ways more. And help us to love you and love others. Amen. And then there's this last verse from Isaiah. It says, it's the same with my words. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Let's say the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.